I've got a meme that I like to share on the internet too about atheism, but and it has a girl who's standing on the side of a mountain and it's like springtime and she's got her arms thrown back and she's breathing freely and, and well. And I like to say that atheism is like taking a breath of fresh air after you've been choked all your life. I mean, you, you get you get to think for yourself. You, you don't have to worry about what thoughts cross your mind. No. You don't have to worry about touching yourself or uh, the things that you can do with another adult, a consenting adult. Um, not only that, but just it's it's so freeing in your own day-to-day uh, -day, um, living. You don't have to worry about an omniscient judge watching your every thought and judging you on your every action. Uh, which to me is the very um, definition of per per persecution and um, oh, was it when they're really after you? Yeah, it's like a 1984 with Big Brother. Mm, uh, no, there, there is no uh, like, contentious police officer like figure watching you, judging your judging your every move. Like I said, mm -hmm. uh, you realize that you know you're not under complete 24-hour surveillance. Yeah, and right. like you said, it, it 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 is a very freeing thing to become in it. Becoming atheist, yeah. whether uh, Christians like to admit it or not. Yeah. Well, one thing a lot of people miss when we say things like that is that we we're trying to talk them into it. We're trying to get them to uh, throw aside their 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 beliefs. There's a part of that, but the thing about it is, atheism isn't really a decision that you make. It's it's a realization that you come to, and you have to come to it at your own speed in your own way. Uh, everybody comes to it uh, from different backgrounds, and it, it's just uh, something that you come to find out is true. Um, a good way to look at it, yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on to page 43. You say that not only did God not bother to look at Jesus when he was dying for humanity, he wouldn't even bother telling Mary that he made love to her and that she's pregnant with his son. He just couldn't be bothered. Instead, he sent some errand boy to tell her. Uh, but you're saying here what? This the uh, chapter in question is called. It, it's a uh, uh, chapter that's satire. It's called Jesus gets tired of being a greeter in heaven. Oh, yeah. Tells God to find someone else, and it starts out after two thousand years of always being the first person people see when they get to heaven. In an act of son against father rebellion, Jesus Christ tells God that as far as him welcoming people into heaven with open arms, he says. No more. I just can't take it anymore, says Christ. I'm basically pulling a have been pulling a double, both welcoming folks into heaven and living inside the hearts of Christians the world over. I just, I just can't do it anymore. Basically, I'm pulling all the way here. Dad gets to sit on his throne and soak up all the praise and adulation. I mean, even on earth, I ha had to die just so Dad could forgive people. How screwed up is that? Jesus continued. And when I finally did die, he couldn't even look at me. A relationship is strained, to say the least. To be sure. Um, he, I mean, he's just so arrogant. It's just, I mean, uh, Christians would say he's got every reason to be arrogant. But at the same time, he's not human. He has no humanity. Uh, to First of all, why would he require his, his son to be killed so that he would be able to forgive people? If you apply that, that uh, kind of reasoning to any other person or any other authority figure, even a uh, 
one of the highest authority figures, it doesn't make sense. If uh, Barack Obama said he had to kill Sasha or Malia in order to forgive the Republicans for being mean to him, that wouldn't make any sense. No. And that's just an analogy that we can use to discover that, you know, just how absurd the notion is that God had to kill his son in order to forgive people. As yep. people have said before, uh, if you want to forgive someone, why just why not just forgive them without all the bloodshed? Right. He has the power, and what power does he not have, according to Christianity? I mean, he can he can make the rules, but this particular rule, he, he made a rule requiring his son to die, particularly horrible death, just so that he could forgive us. Doesn't uh, make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, talking about responsibility, uh, moving on to chapter 20, you're talking about the, the Hague to charge God with crimes against humanity. Would you like to talk about that for a second? Sure, this is another satirical article I've written in a book. It's chapter 20, the, the Hague to charge God with crimes against humanity. The Hague has been known to be a stalwart champion of justice. Their court has tried some of the most infamous enemies of mankind. As of late, some are saying that they are taking on what are many calling one of the most destructive forces of all time, God. Pat Robertson insists that God has caused major disasters, killing a countless number of people each year. The 700 Club host has gone on record to say that God's actions are retaliation for, quote-unquote, the gays having sex with each other and getting married. Most people confirm that God, though rumored to have existed since the beginning of time, still is alive and well today. The history of God's inhumanity to man is unparalleled. Going back, according to the president of Answers in Genesis and Creation Museum founder Ken Ham, thousands of years. Despite Nietzsche apparently erroneous claiming God to be get dead in 1882, there is a movie trumpeting in its title, God's Not Dead. While the whereabouts of God remain unknown at this time, his son Jesus is purported to live in the hearts of millions worldwide. Attempts have been made to solicit those who claim to have a close personal relationship with God's son to give us a lead on the location of God, but to no avail. Chances are that God will continue to elude capture by authorities and wreak havoc on humanity until we are all wiped out by either the impending eruption of the Yellowstone supervolcano or global warming well he is kind of elusive it's kind of hard to corner him or chase him down kind of hard to track him down yeah all, yeah. all, all, all powerful being that existed exists everywhere it's kind of hard to kind of hard to find well you him. could just you could uh i mean he wouldn't be in absentia if you tried him in absentia because directly he's everywhere so you could say he's actually invisible and sitting in that chair and try him anyway <clears throat> but how would you how would you carry out the sentence that would be uh, a tough problem. And particularly if he's immortal and the sentence is death, you know, what would you do? <laughs> yep. yeah. Okay, at the, in page 62, end of paragraph 2, uh, you say that heaven is more of a reward for God than people. Well, what do you mean by that? Uh, this is a selection from Merry Christmas, M-E-R-R-Y-C-H-R-I-S-T-M-Y-T-H. Uh, we've got a call. Okay, hold on just a second. Turn up that microphone. All right, and hello, caller. May we have a name or a nickname? Okay, it must have been the wrong number because as soon as we said something, Tammy hung up. Or she. 
So let's okay, continue. Okay, back to uh, the uh, net, 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 so paragraph two or paragraph three? Paragraph two, is that right? Paragraph two. Paragraph two, okay. And this is a selection from, uh, this is an excerpt from the chapter called Merry Christmas, M-E-R-Y-C-H-R-S-T-M-Y-T-H, a comparison between God and Santa. It's uh, comparing God and Santa and drawing the contrast and the uh, similarities and differences between God and Santa. And we've got another phone call. Okay. Let's try it. Uh, welcome to the show. You're on the air. May we have a name or a nickname, please? Hello. You're on the air. Okay. Either shy or just continually dialing the wrong number. Okay, back to the excerpt. Uh, the excerpt says, Our attention will now go to how they reward you. If you're good, Santa brings you presents. If you're good when it comes to God, you get to spend eternity worshiping him. Not really much of a reward, is it? You'll probably get bored as you do with every church service, hoping it will be over soon, constantly looking at your watch and awaiting the dismissal prayer as you can, so you can go eat fried chicken at KFC. But in heaven, you are, endlessly you are to endlessly worship God. Sounds like more of a reward for him than you, doesn't it? It does to me. I mean, you do nothing but play your harp, sing, sing praises to the Lord, uh, and and just abide forever. Like Jim Jeffries said, uh, it's supposed to be eternal bliss, but it's really an endless worship service, and eventually, since it lasts for all of eternity, you'll get bored. Right. Okay, I find that particularly enlightening, if you think about it. Uh, moving on, on page 88, uh, third paragraph, uh, you say that Jesus slash God was just going through a phase in the Old Testament. Is that right? This is chapter, uh, paragraph 3. It says, uh, interestingly enough, this is in the Old Testament. When, when other passages from the Old Testament are cited, normally those same parents dismiss it by saying, it's in the Old Testament. Jesus came, and now we are under new law. So there, like all things in the Old Testament don't matter, because after all, God was going through a phase had to get all that genocide out of his system before warming up to his greatest act of love, killing his son, and then blaming everyone who ever existed for it, most of whom weren't even born yet, for how bad they were. That's one of the problems I've always had with Christianity. You have to constantly apologize for being human. And for, not for something you did, for something that the first theoretical ancestor did. And if evolution is true, there was no Adam and Eve. There was no uh, genesis, and that means that the uh, original sin did not happen, and, and we don't need uh, forgiveness for an original sin that never happened. Um, of course, Adam and Eve theoretically brought sin into the world, so if they didn't, there is no sin, especially if there is no God, which, of course, is what we believe. Uh, sin is a trespass against God. No God, no sin. Um Dan Barker out of Freedom from Religion Foundation says that sin is a product uh, or an invention of the church so that they can then sell you the cure for that uh, the, uh, problem. Create yeah. the problem, yeah. offer the solution, yeah. and end up looking like a hero. The ultimate in salesmanship. And create the, the product that you want to sell the cure for, or protect the, I mean, project the illness that you want to sell a cure for. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, the next topic is free will. 
uh, the comparison between God and you know as a father and you as a child. Uh, what would we think about a father who left Satan influence their child? I mean, let them do it. The issue of free will is chapter 29, and uh -huh. it goes yes. as follows. Mm -hmm. The argument for free will is often cited as the reason that God supposedly let Satan exist. Christians say that without Satan there would be no free will. I beg to differ. A person left to his own devices can come up with plenty of things to do that are bad. Satan is not needed. Here's an analogy. In this analogy, you represent God. Your child represents all of humanity, and the person trying to get your child to do bad things represents Satan. If you had a child and truly loved and cared for that child, you wouldn't let someone hang around your child that you knew was actively trying to get your child to do bad things. Even more to the point, Christians believe Satan is trying to doom each one of our souls to the fiery pits of hell to suffer in agony forevermore. Imagine the analogy now. Taking into consideration that I have now presented before you, if someone was actively attempting to lure your child into a situation where your child would be tortured, I bet you that, that if it was in your power and under your control, you would absolutely get rid of this person who wished this kind of harm on your child. According to the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil there, warning Adam and Eve not to partake in the eating of its fruit. And to top it off, God put a serpent that can talk in the garden, knowing full well that he could and would tempt Eve by telling her that God lied to her about the tree. You see, God knew exactly what would happen if they ate its fruit. They would be banished from the earth, this earthly paradise, and Adam would be forced to work the soil to get food. Eve would be punished with painful childbirth. Would you as a parent put a George Foreman grill in the senator three-year-old's play area with, with an easy reach turned on full blast? and then warn your son not to touch it just to give him free will, knowing that your child could easily hurt himself by touching it? No, that would be bad parenting. If you had to use the grill, you'd place it in an area of your house where the, your child wouldn't reach it, such as on the counter. And this is just a mild analogy compared to the danger hell presents if indeed it actually exists, which it doesn't. Taking these things into consideration, God, according to the Bible, was a horrible father figure. Either the story is made up, or God is the ultimate careless, reckless, and unfit parent. Yeah, and, and getting into the free will part of it specifically, um, Satan. You know, uh, Christians tell you that if you had free, that if you had true knowledge of God, this is why he hides. If you actually had knowledge that God exists, if he showed himself to you, uh, you wouldn't have free will to believe in him or not. But. How many times in the Old Testament did he show himself to his, his people? And Satan for sure knew that God existed, but still rebelled against him. So that argument's out the window. Heck, Satan even waged a war against him. And how could anything or anybody, any entity, wage a war against Almighty God who knows it's coming and, uh, and is all-powerful that could just wave his finger and, and that would be the end of that? Uh, he would uh, eliminate all competition. And the thing about that story is, is that uh, when Satan did rebel against God, according to the story, that God actually gave Satan, or let, let Satan take uh, several, or, or a good size of his angels with him. Like, you know, that wasn't a uh, good idea, you know? No. Or, or should I say, like, that was not, a good idea, according to God. It's certainly not a good idea for humanity. Okay. <coughs> the next one, uh, on page 95... 
is where God, uh, as an absentee father, father, absentee father, tells you to to write him uh, in prayer, sing songs about him, praise him every day. Uh, however, he never writes back. He never acknowledges you in any way. And all of this is instructions in his holy book. Uh, this doesn't make any sense to me, uh, according and according to your book, you either. Uh, this is a section called the Good Book. Imagine if you had never heard of the Bible and someone walked up to you and told you, I have a book here for you to read. It has a snake that talks in, a donkey, wait, no, that's the wrong thing. This, this is a father figure. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had a father who wrote a book and left before you were born. And in this book, he instructs you on how you, he wants you to behave. Also in this book, he tells you he wants you to have a relationship with you and mandates you write letters to him daily, which he doesn't reply to. Also, if you read the book, he tells you he wants you to sing songs about how great he is. Gives you an unreasonable, unattainable standard he wants you to live up to. Says you are unworthy of his love. Tries to convince you you are evil just because you were born. Had another one of his children tortured to death and claimed the reason he did it was how bad you were. He also, in the book, tries to convince you that you deserve to be tortured to death in the way he had his other child killed. In addition to this, the child he had tortured to death, he conceived with the woman who had no say in the matter while she was engaged to another man. At some point, you would probably stop writing letters, letters to his father, conclude he is a lunatic and highly obsessed with himself, and if a case study was done of your father by a licensed psychologist to be conservative about the situation, he would conclude your father is highly irrational, possibly a sociopath, and the relationships he has with everyone involved are abusive and highly dysfunctional. Not, to, not having to go, I mentioned the fact that he's absent. I mean, he left. Uh, he's not even there for you when you when you need him. So uh, one way conversation. Yeah, I mean the uh, the psychologist could just come up and say, "Well, you, he's gone. You need to forget about him and get on with your life." <laughs> <laughs> I think if he was worth his salt at all, he would say that. Uh, you're listening to the Free Thought Radio Hour. Uh, this is Larry Rhodes or Daughter Five. We have John Webster as a guest with us today. He's a local author. Uh, talking about his latest book called Ten Decisions I Could Have Made Better Than God. Um, when we come back, uh, we'll give out the phone number and ask for some callers, but we'll continue talking about the book. Um, first, the station of identification. This is WOZO 103.9, WOZO Radio, and we're going to take a slight break here and play uh, Symphony of Science. It's a song about evolution. species turn into another. How is it that we find ourselves surrounded by such complexity, such elegance? The genes of you and me, the genes of you and me, are all made of DNA. We're all made of the same chemical DNA. We're all made of DNA. Only the fittest survive. That is the key. Natural selection. That is the key. We are surrounded by endless forms. Most beautiful, most wonderful. Evolution, the greatest show on earth. There is grandeur in this view of life. Most wonderful. Evolution, the greatest show on earth. Life can be thought of as a many-branched tree. 
The five kingdoms of life were established earlier on. Bacteria, protists, amoeba-like creatures, fungi, plants, and animals. We find ourselves perched on one tiny twig. In the midst of a blossoming tree of life. Perched on one tiny twig. Of a blossoming tree of life. Only the fittest survive. That was the key. Natural selection. That was the key. We are surrounded by endless forms. Most beautiful, most wonderful. Evolution, the greatest show on earth. There is grandeur in this view of life. Most beautiful, most wonderful. Evolution, the greatest show on earth. seem to us to be very remote, strange, even fantastic. But all of us alive today owe our very existence to them. And we're coming back from the break now. This is WOZO Radio 103.9. This is Free Thought Radio Hour. My name is Doubter Five, or Larry Rhodes. We have a, a local author that we're talking with today, John Webster. He's written a book called Ten Decisions I Could Have Made Better Than God. And we were joking about it. It wouldn't have been so easy to make those decisions if the decisions he made uh, weren't so bad. But anyway, um, we want to get into an area now where um, there's a chapter that John wrote called Bible in a Nutshell. Would you like to talk about that? Sure, this is a chapter called, or not, not chapter, but a section called The Bible in a Nutshell. This was a uh, meme I created on Facebook recently, and it received over 100 shares, which I was happy to see. The Bible in a Nutshell. Being exists for eternity, decides he's bored and lonely, creates universe in six days, gets tired, decides everybody's a bunch of jerks, kills nearly everyone, including most of the animals, because screw the animals, Wants to forgive people, can't. Impregnates a virgin with himself with plans to commit suicide. Tells self he is proud of himself. Asks self if he can get out of it. Tells self he can't get out of it. Can't watch self commit suicide. Asks self why he's forsaking himself. Dies. Rises three days later to be beside himself to sit at self's right hand for all of eternity. And finally has some guy on hallucinogenic mushrooms write about the events that surround his eventual return because then it gets crazy. <laughs> that, that is funny. It reminds me of some of those memes out there that, that accurately describe Christianity in, in like one paragraph. 
And it's the craziest paragraph you ever <laughs> want to hear. Yeah, all, all, all depends on the language you use. If you use the uh, flowery mm-hmm. language of the Bible that, uh, you know, talks about it in glowing terms, it sometimes doesn't really sound that crazy. But if you use plain, simple language to describe mm-hmm. what actually what actually happened according to the Bible, it sounds yeah. sounds pretty pretty messed up. Like uh, a, rib, a rib woman is, is uh, convinced by a talking snake that fruit uh, has to be eaten, and, you know, it just goes on from there. It's... Uh, if you take any one of those things, uh, it's just nuts. But if you listen to the whole thing, you start a religion around it. It's just crazy. Yep. One of the reasons I became an atheist was that because I actually read the Bible cover to cover. And after reading, I was like, you know what, there's there's just so many contradictions in here, and it doesn't really make that much sense. So, you know, eventually after reading the Bible cover to cover, it caused me to become an atheist. Uh, we do have open phone lines right now. If you'd like to call in, our, our number is 333-5937, 333-5937, and you can call any time. <clears throat> the next area we're going to get into is page 102, Jesus' sacrifice. You say it isn't much of a sacrifice? Yes, indeed I do, and I stand by that statement. <laughs> well, how so? Uh, this is called My Sacrifice. If Abel got back his lambs after three days, it wouldn't have been much of a sacrifice for him. If the Israelites got back their animals they slaughtered and burnt to God after three days, they wouldn't have been much of a sacrifice for them. If Jephthah got back his daughter after three days, let me go ahead and take the call. Okay. Yeah, sure. Hello, and welcome to um, Free Thought Radio Hour. Do you have a, a name or a nickname that we can address you by? Hello, Forrest. Welcome to the show. Uh, you have a comment or question? Well, yeah, I was listening earlier, and and uh, John was talking about how uh, Jesus is in everyone's heart, and man, oh man, it made me think of those posters in the veterinary uh, veterans uh, veterinary office uh, about um, you know canine heartworm. My goodness, infestation of the heart. <laughs> <laughs> that that's a good analogy. other than get rid of the parasite. you know particularly damaging to the sense of self that you have as a Christian is uh, Christianity has you convinced that you deserve to be tortured to death like Jesus did as as many Christians say Jesus took my place and Christianity has people convinced that they deserve to be tortured for not, not only tortured to death but tortured for all eternity in the fiery pits of hell so it's it doesn't really do much for the self-worth 
in uh, Christianity. However, they do try to uh, compensate by the, for that by saying, that, oh, no matter how horrible you are, and believe you me, as Christians say, you are horrible, God loves you anyway. So it's basically like an abusive spouse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would try to work towards another analogy, though, and that is that as you give up Christianity, that you actually then may face some painful choices. Um, yeah, I've heard uh, former believers talk about that they were genuinely concerned, where am I going to get my morals, for instance? Right. Mm-hmm. And every society, every person in every society since the beginning of mankind has had morals that told us not to lie to each other, not to kill each other, uh, not to take each other for granted, etc. Uh, it didn't start with Christianity or any other religion for that matter. One thing that Sam Harris has gone on the record to say is that Christianity and religion gives uh, people bad reasons to do good things. And with uh, atheism, you do good things because they are good and they're inherently good and you know they're the things you should do and uh, uh, secular humanism teaches empathy and uh, many, many times Christians say that you know well if I wasn't a Christian what would stop me from going around raping and murdering and stealing from people well if you need a God to get you to uh, you know stay in line like that what, what does that say about your own sense of uh, morality to be sure um, right. Well, um, do you have any more uh, decisions you could have made better than God? Yeah, I do. I, I, I have uh, ten of them, but uh, right right now we're going through uh, other chapters. Uh, we, uh, we we probably could go through uh, the, the ten decisions I've made better than God, but I guess we'll save that for a different uh, show. We're going through uh, other, other parts of the book right now. Alrighty. Well, I hope you get some more callers. I'll continue listening online. That was good for us. Thank Thanks you very much for calling in. Bye-bye. Okay, you were talking about Jesus' sacrifice. I thought Jesus died for us. Isn't that a pretty good <laughs> sacrifice? Well, if he comes back three days later, it sounds like he's more of a boomerang than a sacrifice. Yeah, he had a bad weekend for your sins. Is that it? <laughs> the, uh, the, the section's called My Sacrifice, and I'll go ahead and begin uh, okay, back sure. when I was reading it. Uh, my sacrifice. If Abel got his lambs back after three days, it wouldn't have been much of a sacrifice for him. If the Israelites got back their animals they slaughtered and burnt to God after three days, they wouldn't have been much of a sacrifice for them. If Jephthah got back his daughter after three days, she wouldn't have been much much of a sacrifice for him. And finally, since Jesus came back after three days, he wasn't much of a sacrifice for God. More of a loan. Right, and not only did he just get to come back, he got to come back as a God and, and sit by his own right side, as it were. That's just, just amazing how everybody uh, guilts you into obedience through his, his sacrifice of his life when really he's, he's, they also claim in the same breath that he's alive and with us and they can talk to him anytime they want. Jesus is everywhere. He's a multitasker. He can uh, reside in your heart and welcome everybody into heaven and sit at the right hand of God all at the same time. Right, right. Uh, if we move to page 105, the biblical canonization process of God's intentions. Can you talk about that a little sure, bit? Sure. This section is called Canonized. At the latest, the canon known as the Bible was created in full and confirmed in 397 A.D. The printing press was invented in the Holy Roman Empire by German 
Johann Gutenberg around 1440. Between the canonization of the Bible in 397 AD, the Bible had to be handwritten to produce more copies. 1,043 years more than the millennium passed before the printing press was invented. All this time transpired when, if, transpired when if God wanted to be efficient, which he really wasn't, he could have had either someone invent this machine or pulled a miracle and invented it himself, but he didn't. The reason he didn't do this when it was clear that the Bible could have been reproduced and distributed and reached more people so the gospel could spread earlier to countless more people is simple. A miracle-performing God never existed. Yeah, Kevin Thomas Paine said that the... the, the the temptation of a scribe who's inscribing, you know, making copies of God's word to put in his own thoughts, you know, as God <laughs> was pretty darn uh, tempting for them. And, and uh, not only for them, but for the bishops for which they worked, the yeah. bishops could give them the copies for them to make copies. They could have written anything they wanted to. And in some cases, we do have examples of what uh, was apparently added later. And as is said about the Bible, that God did divinely inspire, according to people who support the Bible, and God didn't dictate it word for word, and that's kind of uh, ridiculous, because God is supposed to be this omniscient being who is all-wise and knows all, and when it came to uh, writing his autobiography and his instruction manual for humans, he was like, you know what, you go ahead, you, you, uh, you, you uh, write it in, in the words you want to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's just inspired, so that's okay, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, on page, um, let's see, 108, you're talking about suicidal tendencies. Uh, you're talking about if somebody uh, addresses God with a prayer saying to please get rid of the, the one who creates evil, what's he asking God to actually do? The section is called Suicidal Tendencies. According to Isaiah 45.7 in the King James Version, which most Christians consider to be the most accurate and some the only version of the Bible, the only true version of the Bible, which reads, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. If you prayed for God to get rid of the one who creates evil, you would essentially be asking for God to commit suicide, according to this verse. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not Satan who brought evil into the world, it's God. And God also allows uh, Satan... To to live and promulgate that evil. Uh, of course, uh, don't get the impression that us atheists believe in God or Satan or evil, uh, or at least sin. Um, we're just uh, putting a microscope over these particular stories and, and asking you to look a little closer at them. Okay, uh, page 123, first paragraph says, this along with chapter 33 asks, how can people who profess to be Christians also be Republicans? This is called priorities. I sincerely wish Christians would transfer their time spending, spent professing their love to the non-existent spirit of a man who lived and died 2,000 years ago, an imaginary deity, to the people Jesus told them to demonstrate their love to by their actions of taking care of the poor. Jesus even gave out free health care. For him, health care was a right, not a privilege. But no, instead, they are married to the party that has no concern for the least of these. And if forced to choose between feeding, housing, clothing, educating, and providing health care for a family of four, or having every member of that family say a 30-second prayer accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would choose the latter. Priorities, people. Priorities. Yeah. 
uh, always hear this joke saying Republicans uh, put down um, hippies and leftists all week long, and then they go to church on Sunday and worship one. Yep. Okay, moving on to page 124, the bottom of the page. Hell does not punish sin. What do you mean by that? This is entitled Sinful. God does not punish sin. Sin can be forgiven. This belief in the supernatural is what get, what you get what gets you sent to hell. You cannot be forgiven for that. You burn for all of eternity for not believing things that can't be proven. An omnipotent, conscious entity that wants to have relationship with everyone. You would think that he would be detectable in some way, right? But no, he is not. This is the reason and rationale of imperfect men, not a loving, righteous, and perfect God. Belief versus non-belief in anything that can't be proven is not a moral issue. Hell does not punish sin. Sin can be forgiven. Unbelief in the supernatural is what is being punished. The concept of a hell in which one will be tortured forever is cruel, unjust, unfair punishment for simply wanting evidence for what you believe. Those who do believe things without evidence should be punished for not being intellectually honest, if at all. Not showing intellectual integrity and, and not showing intellectual courage when being faced with the threat that if they don't believe something that doesn't make sense to them, they'll be tortured for it. The punishment of hell isn't even based on behavior. That if any punishment is doled out, it should be based on behavior, not disbelief. Not believing something is not believing something is not wrong. Murdering someone innocent is. And according to Christianity, you can be forgiven for murder and still go to heaven. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I always hear from Christians. You want to be an atheist, they say, because as an atheist, you can do anything you want to. And my, I always come back to them and say, no, as a Christian, you can do anything you want to. Just go ahead and do it and ask for forgiveness. Yeah, um, we yeah. don't have that option. We don't. We can't ask for forgiveness. We have to watch everything we do because we know we'll have to live with the consequences of our actions. And, and in the uh, prison system, the atheists are drastically underrepresented in our prison system. However, when it comes to Christians in the penal system, uh, Christians in the uh, Christians that are civilians, they're not prisoners, are about are about the same percentage, make up about the same percentage as as Christians in prison. And one of the reasons is is that they believe. They can be forgiven by the highest authority that exists, no matter what they do. So there are tons of prisoners in there that are just very thankful that no matter what they've done, who they've wronged, they're forgiven by the highest authority that exists. Yeah. Um, this is Wozo Radio, WOZO 103.9. Uh, our phone number, open lines, is 333-5937. If you'd like to call in, talk to a couple of atheists, that's 333-5937. I also like to talk about uh, punishing disbelief as um, you have to believe for the, for your faith to kick in and, and make all of this stuff come true. And I call that effect the Tinkerbell effect. You know, you believe real hard and it'll be there. So, yeah, think good thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on. Page 149. Um, you say you're sick. What do you mean by that? This is entitled, You're Sick. God wanting you to know he exists so badly, he will torture you forever if you disbelieve, and failing to demonstrate his existence is not God giving us free will. It's a rational, sadistic neurosis on the part of God. Um, irrational, sadistic neurosis? Irrational, strong words. Irrational, sadistic <laughs> neurosis, and I stand by those comments. Yeah. Well, I can certainly understand why. 
Okay, page 154. Uh, Jesus was killed. Why? This is entitled, Annoying as All Get Out. Jesus wasn't put on the cross to die for your sins. They killed him because he was annoying. If you went around telling everyone you met that if they didn't believe you were the Son of God and your dad would torture them, people may just want to crucify you. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, a lot of the stuff, uh, if the reader doesn't recognize it yet, is, is satire. He's got a lot of satire in this book. It's, it's got a lot of humor in it. Uh, one of the things that I, I would have liked to put in mind, but I'm just not good at it. But John is, and I, I, I appreciate his, his the humor that he has put in his book. Thank you. Okay, chapter 40, um, examples of why God doesn't love the world. What do you mean? He does love the world. He, he tells us all the time in the Bible that he loves us. Uh, lo lo loves us so much he killed his son, right? Yeah. This is entitled, Why God Didn't Love the World. Ten examples of actions speaking louder than words. The Bible is many things, an instruction manual for believers, a history of the struggles and conquests of God's chosen people, but most of all, it is an autobiography of God's actions, which is purportedly divinely inspired and revealed to man. Why he let them choose their own words instead of dictating it, you could say, is, a great as mystery, as, is as great a mystery as Yahweh himself. The Bible tells us that God loves us, but as the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. Right. This will be an investigation. We will examine the evidence, and instead of relying solely on rhetoric, we'll take a look at God's actions, and as a standard in investigations, we'll assume God is innocent until pro proven guilty. Let us begin. Number one, for God so loved the world, he cursed all of humanity due to two people's actions for merely being curious. Genesis 3. Number two, for God so loved the world, he drowned nearly everything that lived, save a 600-year-old faithful carpenter and his clan. Genesis 7. For God so loved the world, he had women who had committed adultery and as a result gotten pregnant, abort their babies against their mother's will. Numbers 5, 11 through 29. For God so loved the world, he commanded a village to stone a man to death for gathering sticks on a sacred day. Numbers 15. Number five, for God so loved the world, he killed the son for the sins of the father. 2 Samuel 12. Number six, for God so loved the world, he sent two she-bears to maul to death 42 young boys for making fun of the Baal prophet. 2 Kings 2. Number seven, for God so loved the world, he permitted Satan, someone he had full control over, to kill all of the man's children so he could win a vain bet. Job. Number eight, for God so loved the world, he has part of his ultimate plan that he will torture people for all eternity for not believing he exists while providing no evidence that he is real. Revelation 21. Number nine, for God so loved the world, he permitted of his chosen people to be captured, starved, be made into slaves, and then exterminated, the Holocaust. And number 10, and to those of you who think I'm taking things out of context, to those who might say I'm misinterpreting scripture, I need only remind you that the actual verse in the Bible that is prefaced with these words, the single verse used in every evangelical tract the one that sums up the whole point of Christianity says that God's most loving act he ever committed involved him needlessly torturing to death his own son who didn't do anything to deserve it and then blamed his entire creation for his poor decision and said it was our fault. John 3.16 The Bible claims God loved the world, but as we can see by, this, by his behavior, it is almost as if he doesn't, didn't love humanity at all, but loathed us. That's so true. Um, 
to me, it's always been like there was a the Bible is a list of his repeated failures. Uh, he wanted Adam and Eve not to eat the the fruit of good and evil, and they did. They did. They they didn't want uh, people to become evil. They did, and they flooded the earth so that the, because they were all evil, but his evil is still around. He didn't wipe it out. There's, it's still evil. That's another failure. The the Tower of Babel. You know, he he had to knock down the tower because we were getting to be too close to God. And the thing about the story is, it doesn't make any sense. It uh, according to the Bible, the Tower of Babel was when people tried to build a tower to heaven. And we've got a call. Okay. And welcome, caller. You're on the air. May we have a name or a nickname? Hello. Oh, doing fine. You're on the air. Do you have a comment or question? understand what your question correctly it's what is the best way to go about convincing a believer that they're mistaken is that correct yes and i will hang up and i will listen to you guys comments thanks for doing what you're doing and keep it up thank okay. you okay thanks sir okay. um there are some atheists who try to make christians feel stupid there are some atheists who try to shame christians into changing their minds and uh sometimes atheists get a bad rap as being mean-spirited or um you know, just just sometimes we, we get characterized as being jerks. And if you think about it, uh, you know, that's kind of comes with the territory because uh, that would be like somebody telling a, a kid that Santa Claus isn't real. You know, we, we uh, essentially spoil their fun. And um, one of the best ways I've discovered to get about go about changing someone's mind is to uh, poke fun or make fun of certain ideas that may be mistaken or that I think are wrong. And uh, because when you get somebody to laugh about what they believe, um, it, 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 it brings their guard down. And, um, you know, it gets them to, you know, see the, own, see the absurdity in what they believe. And I just think that, you know, one of the best ways to get somebody to change their mind is to, uh, you know, more or less 
make fun of something they believe, which is absurd, rather than, you know, make them feel stupid or shame them or, you know, be a jerk about it. I actually wrote an article on that on my blog uh, saying, should we use ridicule? And um, my answer is, yes, we should. We should use every uh, every appeal to reason that there is, humor, uh, ridicule, um, just appeal to knowledge. Um, if you think about the, the dangers and the, and the harm that is done by religion in the world over, um, on every particular religion, not just Christianity, we need to bring it to, uh, to a people's attention that it's just, it needs to be repaired, it needs to be fixed, it needs to be uh, uh, thought of at least, second thoughts. And um, any other thoughts on that? I really don't have anything to add. I think you've I mean, covered that. Yeah, for, the harm for, being for done by thoroughly. religion in the world today, um, it's got to be addressed. Uh, we have no uh, control over who reads the book either. I mean, we can't just put it out for a particular segment of society. It's either launched or it's not, and, uh, and uh, it has to go where it goes. One of the most effective and potent ways to make sure somebody becomes an atheist is to have them read the Bible and just read, you know, uh, what they profess to be, you know, inerrant, inerrant doctrine and see how fallacious it is, see how many contradictions are in it, and just to have, have them examine their own faith uh, on their own and that uh, as is, as has been said before the most potent way to have someone become an atheist is to read the Bible and with that I think we're going to have to start wrapping it up this is WOZO radio you can listen to us streaming online at WRadio.com 103.9 FM low, low power uh, we're going to sign out with Atheist Funeral uh, she's, she's interesting song <laughs> to say the least and uh, we'll see you next week Olson came to Seattle for recent oral arguments. And government, as a trustee of those resources, has an obligation to protect them for not just us, but future generations. A federal lawsuit was filed against the Obama administration on similar grounds, but the government filed a motion to dismiss earlier this month. Olson says her group will appeal. Governments are nearly out of time to make deep carbon cuts before irreversible thresholds are passed, says Wood. Tipping points create emergencies and lawsuits like those by the Climate Aid. In other words, there's a window of opportunity that creates the urgency. The emergency is of government's own making, she adds. They've neglected the problem for decades. For her part, Andrea Rogers, the attorney who filed the lawsuit on behalf of the Climate Aid, says it's a hard case to force agencies to do something about because many believe it's impossible. 
She pauses briefly in a corridor at King County Superior Court before adding, I think the only people that don't believe it's impossible to draw down our greenhouse gas emissions are the kids. And that's why they brought the case. Martha Baskin, FSRN, Seattle. And that does it for this week's program. From Tampa, Florida, I'm Nell.